This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. I love being back with you. It's always a joy to be here. I, I must admit, last time uh, I was here, we did have a few dramas, um, but they do seem to follow me round. A friend of mine uh, here in Melbourne said he'd been following me a bit. He says, Ash, you're a bit like the anti-Forrest Gump. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it, you know, when Forrest Gump shows up in the movies, he's part of history and amazing things kind of happen. You show up and disaster happens. I mean, you go to Thailand, have a tsunami and two coup d'etats. You go to England, nearly a quarter of a million people die of COVID and there's Brexit. You go to uh, Ukraine uh, to help do a master's program and 18 months later, Russia invades. I'm not saying I'm responsible for these things, but I am saying after hearing me speak today, be very careful driving home. (laughs) We've been, and my understanding is doing this series of the Beatitudes and how important the, the words of Jesus are. If we're followers of Jesus, we've got to take the Sermon on the Mount really seriously. This is not for another time for other people, other places. This is for here and now. And these Beatitudes are especially important. I want to read them out and we'll look at one of them today uh, and, uh, and share some of what we've been learning about uh, hungering and thirsting for justice and being filled Matthew 25, sorry, Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, I just ask this morning for these moments together that we can connect with your word. And these words would become living for us. Lord, where there are things just from my own uh, thoughts and imaginings, Lord, let them fall to the ground and be forgotten. But Lord, where there's a living seed of hope and life, let that find good soil here and bear fruit, not just in the lives of those here, but those we connect with, those we live with, those we share. Lord, let your kingdom come through us today because we've gathered around your word and taken it seriously. In Jesus' name, amen. 
these beatitudes, these blessednesses <laughs> are, uh, are, are really challenging. Uh, partly it's hard to understand the language. It's not language we use in the same way. I know in the, uh, in the 80s there was a televangelist who tried to write a book on this and he called it the Be Happy uh, Attitudes. And if we're just happy in our attitudes, that'll, this is the way to do it. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work, does it? Because you're happy of those who are mourning is kind of a, a bit of a, a struggle here. So what does blessedness mean? I've, uh, I've been fortunate to meet some amazing people in my life. Um, of course, we're living in, um, living in uh, UK in a city, Birmingham now, but... Um, but one of the people I got to meet was Alias Shakur. I don't know if anyone's met him. Uh, we had a surrender conference. Surrender conferences were something we kind of helped get started years ago. And uh, Alias Shakur was one of our first speakers up at Belgrave Heights. He had a really good title. His title was the Bishop of Galilee. I mean, if you're going to have a title, Bishop of Galilee is a pretty good one to have, you know. And, uh, and he ran us through these... Uh, these beatitudes and what did blessedness really mean? Uh, it's worth saying the last time I actually preached on the beatitudes, I was in a very strange place. Uh, I was in Kiev about uh, just over a year ago, but no, probably about eighteen months ago. And uh, and of course the war uh, with Russians in invasion was really full on. The campus where I was based on that day, had been hit by six missiles previously, not while I was there, but, but previously. And I had a group of my students that I'd been working with for a number of years, and uh, this was a master's program. And the night before, uh, Dennis, his kind of uh, missiology kind of professor, he said, Ash, we'd really love you to do a devotion. You know, could you, could you do one tomorrow morning? And I don't know how you feel, uh, in a war zone trying to do a devotion with these remarkable Christian leaders. Uh, what do you say? What do you say to people who have stayed to serve God while missiles rain down around them? And uh, this was the passage, this, these Beatitudes is what I kind of really felt called to. But I, I felt like I needed to to reframe them and uh, help us think which of the ones, which of the Beatitudes, which of the blessings of God mean something for us today. And I started with something from Elias Shakur. He wrote this in We Belong to the Land. How could I go to a persecuted young man in a Palestinian refugee camp, for example, and say, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, that man would revile me, saying neither I nor my God understood his plight, and he would be right. When I understand Jesus' words in Aramaic, we're saying Ali Shakur is a Palestinian Christian and his family can trace back to the very area where the Beatitudes was spoken, he thinks that some of his relatives literally heard that sermon. And so Aramaic, of course, was the language that Jesus spoke. 
When I understand Jesus' words in Aramaic, I translate like this. Get up, go ahead, do something, move. You are hungry and thirsty for justice. You shall be satisfied. Get up, go ahead, do something, move. You who are peacemakers, for you shall be called children of God. To me, this reflects Jesus' words and teaching much more accurately. I can hear him saying, get your hands dirty to build a human society for human beings. Otherwise, others will torture and murder the poor, the voiceless and the powerless. Christianity is not passive, but active, energetic, alive, going beyond despair. That's blessedness. Blessedness is this sense of uh, aliveness to God. And particularly for the responsibilities that God is giving us, it's not just uh, pleasure-seeking. And I don't know when you have a sense of responsibility, a task from God, something inside us lights up. But when we don't... (laughs) when we are a passenger, where we spectate, where we just watch other people doing it, we, that aliveness kind of deadens in us. And we do live in a world where people love to watch and spectate, but very few people get on the field. And this blessedness is for those who sense that responsibility of God to get up and go. And as you do this, you come alive. That's the blessedness. I love uh, one of the people who really influenced me is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. don't know if you know that name. He resisted the Nazis. He's a great kind of theologian. And he said this, have we learnt a little too late in the day that action springs not from thought but for a readiness for responsibility? I think this readiness for responsibility, that's the blessedness. That's this sense of aliveness that comes. Um, One of the people in our neighbourhood, in in inner city Birmingham, Winston Green, was um, a guy called Leslie Newbigin. I'm not sure if his name is familiar to you. But he said the role of the local church is to be a blessing to the local community. But also it's a blessedness to have responsibility for it. He said the role of the local church is to be a sign, a foretaste and an instrument of God's coming kingdom in a place, a place for which it is responsible. And when I look at the West and come back to the West after being in Thailand for 10 years in a slum community and the work we did in Springvale and now the work 10 years now coming up to in Winston Green, I just know that there were just... So many, so few people doing so much, isn't there? And when this call comes out for the church, to, could you be part of our team? Could you help in a way? Uh, these are not, I, I, I don't know, this church, maybe this is really different. Maybe you're overrun by people volunteering and everyone wanting to do everything and it's all shared out equally. But in most churches, there's this small core of people who had just run off their feet with so much to do. And the key to blessedness is not to watch them and criticise them. The key is to join forces and to get involved in whichever way you can, how small or how big. But it comes out of not um, obligation or duty, 
It comes out of a blessedness that comes, an aliveness that comes, that we get to play our part in something bigger than ourselves. Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be filled. This blessedness in this particular beatitude is around hunger and thirst for justice, righteousness, different translations. There is a cost that, uh, that any blessedness comes with, any sense of responsibility. Uh, and this cost here is hunger and thirsting. But in other beatitudes, it's grief, it's meekness, it's, it's purity of heart. There's all these kinds of costs that come with this blessedness. Not that we earn the blessedness, it's that we're willing to pay these prices because of the blessedness we've received from God. It's not earning, but neither is it cheap. Cheap grace, Bonhoeffer said, is the enemy of the gospel. When Jesus asks us to come and follow him, he invites us into a crazy, crazy journey. It's never going to be boring. (laughs) You'll need to be awake. You'll need to be alive. You'll need all the blessedness that you can muster when you really walk in the discipleship path of Jesus. I was in Mesot uh, on the Thai-Burma border one day. We were running an incubation program for leaders who are trying to start small businesses. They've been resisting the military government there. Um, it's another kind of place that, uh, yeah, my friends who I met in Springvale decades ago are now running the National Unity Government and they won an election and then uh, in October 2020, but in February 2021, uh, the coup d'etat happens and all the plans that we had for leadership programs, community programs went, uh, went askew, but we thought we've got to try something. <laughs> uh, like in Ukraine where we tried to see the blessedness of God and release people into that blessedness. Um, in Mesot, we saw the, uh, the real struggle that people had to generate income because uh, there were doctors and nurses and teachers and because they were government jobs and the government was now the military, they couldn't do them if they resisted them. And so we were working with them to try to... Um, yeah, to try to see change happen, to try to help them start small businesses that would be income generators. Um, one morning, we sitting around the desk, we're in the back of a, a factory because it was a secret location and we'd been doing lots of stuff online and then people came together at the back of this kind of secret location on the border that risked, really risked themselves to be there and what, the first few mornings there were lots of people connecting together, lots of joy, lots of people um, thinking how amazing is this to be together after we've been in refugee camps and jungles and here we all were. But this particular morning, people were just devastated because the news had come in that morning that one of their colleagues from the National Unity Government and one of the part of the civil disobedience movement um, had been in jail a while. His name was Joe Johnny. I'd met him in Springvale. Um, years ago, um, but that morning he'd been hung in an execution with three of his colleagues. And uh, I don't know how you pick up a class after that, a group after that, you know. And 
He was a charismatic kind of figure. He was the kind of Martin Luther King character of the, uh, the, the movement. And uh, I had to do his funeral um, online. And uh, let me just read a little bit from my book about, uh, about that experience. This is the next day. The next day, the cohort of change incubators was eager to return. They hadn't come this far to give up now. They tried to start the day, we tried to start the day taking it easy as we could. My friend and colleague Chris Edwards ran some games to lighten the mood that is all in fits of laughter. The participants eventually pitched their idea for change to a resource panel. These were all breathtaking efforts and inspired the resource panel who zoomed in from around the world. Some were simple projects like a sewing machine to sew clothes, each teaching others their skills. Some more were coffee and crafts. There were tears of joy as we gave out prizes and pledges of support on the final day. I also got to meet with the National Unity Government's Minister for Justice and Education who wanted more of these programs, including more vocational skills. I felt like it in these moments, shalom was possible. Months later, I was asked to offer a Christian reflection for an online service of lament and prayers for Myanmar on August 21, 2022. It was also to honour the memory of Jo Jimmy, along with Jo Fai Zia, To Ko Halmai Ang, and Ko Ang Tori Zo, who had been executed just that month earlier. As I prepared for that day, a line from Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech kept returning to me. I looked it up and wondered if it connected both with MLK and George Jimmy. This is MLK. I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest, quest for freedom, left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. It was this idea of unearned suffering that I saw in George Johnny, George Jimmy, I should say. George Jimmy went back into Burma for the sake of his people and was executed. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Like Jesus, George Jimmy and MLK made the ultimate sacrifice. This is not in vain. George Jimmy's love for his friends and country will be the seeds of new life that Myanmar desperately needs. What is unique in Jesus is the idea of resurrection. In the Christian imagination, death is not the end and Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of new creation. 
don't know how you found your callings in life, but I know for me, I often start out with this ideal. I feel a blessedness. I feel a sense of responsibility. I feel a next step kind of coming on. And I'm really excited about the ideal. But wherever I've gone, it's always moved to ordeal. <laughs> and uh, Birmingham was no different for me. We'd try to set everything up with a college and a school and this neighbourhood. We felt really sense of call to it and to be part of it all. But within a few months, all our plans <laughs> had uh, not survived impact. And uh, at one point, yeah, we were I mean, deep in debt all the things that we tried to set up hadn't worked. But we still had this sense of call to the place of Winston Green. We still had this sense of hungering and thirsting for justice in that place. And there was a price that we had to kind of pay to see that happen, to stay, to stay put. There is an ideal we have, there is an ordeal, but so often there is a new deal, a resurrection, that if we stay long enough, if we find and, and tack a different direction, if we uh, are able to move our methods and change what we were doing, the, the destiny of God in our life comes through. And certainly that's been the case in Winston Green. I'll talk some more about that. But I think we do have to ask the cost question. Are we willing to pay the price with our time, our energy, our resources, our creativity, can we focus it? We can't do everything everywhere all the time. What are the few things that we're really going to give ourselves to and hunger and thirst for? I'd love it if this is part of your church that you see this as what you hunger and thirst for. I don't think it's any accident that this is the text that we're talking about prayer and fasting, that you literally are making yourself hunger and thirst, but I would encourage you not just do it as a kind of discipline to kind of get badges or whatever for. Do it for the sake of your community. Take that time that you would have that meal to pray for what God wants you to do in this community. Those areas of responsibility and blessedness that you're awoken to, pray into that. Spend time, get up early. One of the things that happened for COVID for me is I started uh, watching Netflix to all hours of the night. I don't know if you did. And I'd kind of be starting, you know, I didn't have work in the office in the same way I used to. And my, I was getting up later and later. And I kind of went on this journey of getting up at 5am for a few years, actually, to prepare for my day, to pray for my day, to, pay, to pray the price of what I wanted to see happen with seedbeds. And uh, in local community leadership development around the world. And there were breakthroughs that no one will ever see, no one will ever know. Uh, but I know, and God knows. And the hunger and the thirsting, the paying the price is always worth it. No matter what comes of it. We can't control it, but we can put ourselves in that place. This idea of righteousness or justice, shalom. There has to be a reason that we're trying to do this. And uh, I think uh, when we think about right living, the right relationships, this is what God intends for all of us. We have this blessing. We're willing to sacrifice for it. Uh, but we want to see something good happen, something wonderful happen. And justice is something that's wonderful. 
this uh, word uh, can be used, justice or righteousness. It is about living the way God intends. That's what it's about. It's about God, people and place living in harmony together. Actually, you can tell the story of God's redemptive, the big picture story we're talking about, we want Jesus to be part of. It isn't just about individuals. It is about the earth. God, people and the earth living in harmony together. Shalom is the Hebrew word for that. Righteousness, justice is another word for that. Uh, you, You can look at the story of Adam and Eve, the people in the place, the Garden of Eden, and God's harmony with those folks. That it was good, it was really good. All that God wanted to have happen in that garden was happening. But then, of course, sin breaks in and destroys those relationships. And uh, God raises up Abraham and the people of God and the promised land, and suddenly God, people and place are living in harmony. And of course, that doesn't work. That collapses as well. And then Jesus comes and he establishes the church. And the people of God in a place. I talked about uh, Leslie Newbigin's language of being responsible for a place. Uh, the Celts have this kind of idea uh, I, I, I love Celtic Christianity. One of the things I love to do is pilgrimages. And we walk on these pilgrimages from uh, the Scottish borderland area of Melrose. We walk five days with our local leaders and we end up on Holy Island. Uh, there's barefoot uh, on low tide following the pilgrim's posts. It's an amazing experience. You hear the, the seals kind of singing and people who have no kind of Christian or faith background suddenly hear the voice of God, forgive people, suddenly experience a kind of wholeness. It's uh, these sacred places uh, we just, I think partly because we're out of our normal environment, these sacred places speak to us in remarkable kind of ways and they can do that. But the Celts had this idea uh, in the 5th and 6th century when these things were happening and re-evangelising Europe in the Dark Ages, that the Celtic missionaries were to ask God for a resurrection place. This idea, not that heaven, uh, that when we die, we just go up to heaven in the sky somewhere, in the clouds, but that heaven would come to a particular place and that when we die, uh, we'd be resurrected in that particular location. N.T. Wright's work on this is brilliant. The, the, the Celts were kind of uh, uh, intuiting this. Of course, early, early Christianity had a very matter mattered to God and matters to God now. But so often in our Western Christianity, we just like the spiritual and soul bits, but we don't take the rest of our body and places seriously. As if that was the case, God could have just zapped us with a lightning bolt from heaven. But no, Jesus came in bodily form, in flesh and blood, to particular places. And we have to have this sense of um, what God will do when all things are brought to heaven and earth will come together. That's, that's the prayer, isn't it? That's the Lord's prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not that we go up to heaven, but heaven comes down to us. That's what we're praying for. And when you're fasting and praying this month, will you pray that prayer for your community, for those people, that justice would come, that harmony would come, the places that are alive with God would become really tangible, sacred places for us. It's true that we're, as Christians, we are not 
uh, pantheists believing that God is, uh, is everything. Um, there are lots of religions like that. But we are panentheists. That is, we believe God is in everything. And so this is why the environment really matters. This is why housing matters. Uh, one, one day we had a real drama in our, in our community. Housing is a big, big problem. We have lots of houses of multiple occupancy. We've been campaigning for housing. One day we found out on a Monday that they're going to put two big tower blocks opposite our house. And so we got 14 different community groups together by Tuesday. By Wednesday, we uh, put our kind of our statement out to the council and to the press. And by Thursday, when it went to the council, um, we had our case together, but we lost <laughs> 9-4. Uh, but Friday, the developer, Ron, his name is, came, uh, called me up. He was furious at me. <laughs> uh, Are you the people trying to stop this? We're, we're keeping going. We have this sense of responsibility for this place. We want really good housing. And uh, Ron came down to visit us. Well, Ron um, used to live in the area and his dad used to live in the area and he was trying to do the community a favour by using his derelict land, this area that he thought was a wasteland. But there's these promises of God that wastelands will be turned into gardens of Eden. And this is what we kind of shared with Ron. He got a vision for it, vision for Shalom, a vision for justice. And uh, he got us to work with his um, architects. Um, and rather than having these one-bedroom gyro drops, we call them, um, he's got uh, 420 apartments now designed. Uh, the Church of England are going to buy 100 of them. And uh, we're waiting for any day for the council to reapprove his submission. Now, uh, you say, what's housing got to do with the kingdom of God and justice? It has everything. Where we live matters. And uh, if, if we don't have anywhere permanent to live, we can't put down roots. And we want our communities, uh, we want our, the people of God to put down roots, don't we? And to belong to a place. We're not just spaces to fill. They're places to live and come alive in. So filled is the last thing. That's the promise that actually we will be filled. We will have the life of God flowing through us to such a degree that we will not be hungry and thirsty anymore. The justice of God, the fullness of God will flow in our lives and we get to see it. We get to see signs of it. Uh, Changemakers is my favourite kind of program and what we do is discover the talents of local people who are nominated on the program. We get to incubate their idea for change. It's not doing things to people or for people. It's kind of bringing it out. And, uh, and then they're released into their, into their enterprise, into their campaign, into their projects. Nearly all those folks you saw there, cafes and bike projects and models, <laughs> they're, you know, we can do things to and for people or at people. We can look at what's wrong with people. But if we start with what's strong, it's amazing how the fullness of God can be released in people's lives and we can fix what's wrong. But where we start matters. There's a challenge in Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 11. People of God, particularly some of the key leaders, have been taken to Babylon, one of the cities that people are really scared of. And Jesus, uh, sorry, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says this. But 
but seek the welfare of the city, seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your shalom and not for harm. To give you a future with a hope. Lord, I pray for each one of us here, Lord, that we would take hold of that unique blessedness, that unique deposit of aliveness that you've given each of us. Lord, and that we would be prepared to pay the price of seeing that grace released. Lord, that we would see justice, that we would see righteousness, that we would see shalom, that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in those areas, those spheres of influence that we have. And Lord, that we would come fully alive to you and filled with your spirit, filled with your mercy, filled with your grace to overflow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.